Welcome to another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Today we have 2019 USF 2000 champion Braden Eves joining us. He's going to be discussing his championship run from last year, his future in the road to Indy ladder, and the current impact of sim racing on real-world drivers as we continue throughout this coronavirus pandemic. If you're new to the podcast, you can check out the rest of our episodes by clicking the card at the top right hand on the YouTube video. That'll link you to a playlist with the rest of our episodes. You can also check us out on a variety of podcasting platforms. The link for that is in our Twitter bio. That's at Rain Race Podcast. If you want to join the live discussion for future episodes, you can check out the live stream on youtube.com slash C slash GT rain. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash GT rain. Uh, you can join the discussion for any future live podcasts that we do. Other than that, there's not too much else to say. Hope you enjoy this episode and hope to catch you in the next one. Welcome to season two, episode eight or nine of season two of the rain race podcast joined alongside kyle cuthbertson hi and our special <laughs> guest for this episode this is the first driver we've had on for a spotlight episode since ricky taylor i think back in 2018 Braden eaves hello everyone uh this is obviously another live episode if you are watching live with us on youtube right now that is fantastic and i appreciate uh, everybody sticking around what that means is that you can ask some questions uh, in the nice comment box there, and we'll hopefully be able to answer them throughout the episode. But other than that, uh, this is going to be following roughly the same formula as the or format, I guess, uh, as the rest of our uh, what, what spotlight episodes. That's the word I was looking for, um, where we just go over the driver's career from start to current, um, and just ask some random questions in the middle of it. Um, so for those of you who don't know. Braden is the 2019 USF 2000 champion, which means that uh, this season, whenever it actually ends up starting, uh, he will be racing in the Indy Pro 2000 championship, uh, the next step up the road to Indy ladder. Um, so obviously, as many other racers in the country, you got your start in karting, but I, I'm kind of curious a little bit before that, how did you actually get introduced to racing in the first place? Was that something big in your family? Or was that just something that you picked up on your own? Yeah, so uh, obviously when I'm six years old, I'm not necessarily consciously going to be making decisions like that. But my dad actually started, um, he actually just went out with some friends to do some, some indoor karting. And um, at that point, he was like, uh, you know, me and my brother, my brother was around uh, 10 and I was around five years old. Um, so he ended up getting us into karting like the next year. And um that's where it took off. He took us to a, a local track down in uh, Circleville, Ohio, um, real small track, about seven tenths of a mile, um, where it actually had a very good club at the time. So I got started in um, just 50 cc kid carts that go around 40 mile per hour, and it all started from there. I know Kyle. You've mentioned before that you've done races at Circleville as well. Did you yeah, actually? Like, you told me you. I, I think I might be misquoting you here, but did you actually race against Braden in carts? One time. One time. One, okay. one time. Circleville is where I actually got my start, too. Uh, it's where, like, people, they have a list. Like, Zach Beach, uh, I think Hunter Ray ran there at one point, it said. Um, Ray Hall, a bunch of guys from Ohio started there. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, after karting, uh, you ended up, well, I guess you moved through the ranks of karting. So, you start out in the, uh, the junior karts, move up through the ranks to the senior karts. Uh, but somewhere in here, you became... 
a, a part of the J. Howard driver development. Do you want to kind of explain what that was and how you became a part of that? Yeah, so um, I would say racing started to get uh, very, very serious um, to the point where I was um, competing at um, like uh, the largest national races and competing at the very front um, when I was uh, around 14 years old or 15 years old in, in, in junior karting. And I was with J, J, uh, J3 at the time. And um, I, I raced with a year with them and decided, uh, you know, at that point I was kind of shifting my focus a little bit towards cars. It was um, getting to the point where I was going to be in senior karting. Well, actually, I think I moved up halfway through that year. So um, I moved into senior and then I was looking towards cars a little bit, but I had no clue where to get even started. And at that point, um, around the karting paddock, at least, Jay Howard has a, a bit of a reputation for um, helping people get into cars and um, he's been he's always been really good at that and and helping people make the transition from carts to cars so i joined him for a year um i want to say a year and a half of karting before i moved into um he actually launched his f4 team um the year after i joined his team in karting so um i i started uh started in karting with him and and raced actually won a lot of races in karting at, in scusa competition um, so that was a uh, really good, that's where I actually, I would say, um, made my, uh, breakout where people started to really pay attention to me. And, um, I started to get, uh, results that were international wins and, um, results that, uh, you know, say that, uh, basically that I, I thought, I thought I was ready at the time for cars. So I decided to make the move up. I was 17 years old, um, a bit older than a lot of people, but I feel that that was the right time for me. In my career, I uh, actually, the first race I ever did in F4, um, it was just a one-off. And it was kind of a little bit like if I went in and did well, then it was going to, you know, hopefully breed some opportunities for me. Um, but ultimately, we didn't have the budget for much more than that one race. Um, so I actually ended up going in um, a day of testing and qualified second in my first ever car race. And that, that was a very competitive series at the time. Um, Kyle Kirkwood was racing in it and he's won basically every championship now. So I was racing against him, qualified second to him. Uh, and then it ended up a second in the race in my first ever car race had like no experience, didn't know what I was doing. And, um, yeah, we went from there. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned that move up to formula four, how different is it going from kart racing to an actual open wheel racing series because that's pretty much the traditional next step up the ladder from karting as you go into a low level formula series uh, at least for people going down that track uh, so what was that transition like for you was it a bit skeptical were you skeptical at the beginning of that or did you feel like it was a pretty natural transition um i would say it it's very similar but at the same time it's very different um there's certain things that you really have to get used to just um, the feeling of the size of the car was a big thing for me to get used to. I didn't necessarily know how wide my car was, how long it was, things like that. Um, I didn't know a, a crazy amount about weight transfer. I mean, I knew the very basics of it that, you know, the more brake you have, basically the more weight you have in the front. Um, but ultimately, you know, karting is great because the, the, the level of competition in karting 
is is crazy high. I mean, there's so many incredible drivers in karting. Um, the budget is a lot lower, so there's a lot less barriers to entry, and um, it allows just a lot more people. So you're going to be racing against 30 or 40 people that are all excellent, excellent drivers at uh, national level karting. So that was what really um, was great about karting. Now, when I moved into cars, um, it felt very foreign to me. I didn't feel like I had a, a whole, uh, like a stranglehold on it. I just kind of like I, I would go through a lap and I wouldn't really know if it was fast or not because it was just that green at the time. Um, but ultimately, karting does a, a fantastic job, especially because I had a background in sim racing. Um, so I could kind of combine the sim racing elements that I had that were, um, you know, I could learn some of the basics of car racing on the simulator as well as combine that with karting and, and go from there. What was the first track that you actually did a, a formula four race on? You said you did that one off in formula four. What track was that at? Yeah, I did that at uh, Indianapolis motor speedway. That was the oh, only okay. time that series went there. Yep. Starting, starting at the pretty high end of that. Um, <laughs> one of the most famous tracks. Um, so you went from Formula Four, and, and then you ended up in the Mazda Road to. Not, I'm sorry, Mazda. I guess it was the Mazda Road. It to was Indy. the Mazda Road. Yeah, to when you time, when yes. you started it, yes. Um, Give it a little unnecessary free advertisement there, Chris. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I like Mazda, so <laughs> whatever. Going <laughs> off brand a little bit. Uh, but the funny part to remember for all of, for everybody is that you're doing all of this while you're still a full-time student in high school. So you're going to all these different races, whether it was in karting or whether it was in Formula 4 or uh, later the road to Indy Ladder. You're still in high school for the majority of this. And I was reading down the biography on your website, and I was surprised to see that you were still maintaining high academic standards while going to all these different races throughout the year. Was that a difficult thing to manage? Oh, it was very, it was very difficult. Um, senior year wasn't as bad um, because I, I <laughs> uh, this, this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I kind of took the easy way out senior year and didn't take a lot of classes. So, um, but I was taking um, AP Calc at the time, which is was one of most the most difficult classes I had ever taken, or probably the most difficult class I'd ever taken. So, um, that was very difficult. Other than that, I didn't have a huge workload, um, but. It was always, I mean, all through karting, like missing 20 days of uh, of school each year was always quite difficult, especially for the longer distance uh, or the, the longer time periods. Um, actually, that year, uh, 2017, which was the same year that I did uh, my first F4 race, I went over to Italy for a karting race and then promptly came back and raced in the F4 race at Coda with WEC. So I was gone for genuinely like, I want to say two, two full weeks of school and I just get back and had no clue what's going on, but you know, you never know what's going to happen. So you always have to, uh, try your hardest in education and make sure that I'm learning as much as possible. And, um, now I'm kind of taking a break from it and trying to focus all on racing, but, um, you know, that's definitely still on the table potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so you made your USF 2000 debut in 2018, uh, seeing that you only ran two races at the end of the season at Portland. Um, so what was that like getting to USF 2000 car for the first time? 
That was uh that was a great experience. I raced with Newman Walks Racing. That's a, a fantastic team. Brian Hallahan, um, John Hayes, a, a really stellar engineer. John Hayes is. Um, it was a good operation. I was going in with, uh, I think, a bit too high expectations. To be honest, I I kind of expected myself um, to go in and be competitive straight away, but. Um, I ended up qualifying, I want to say fourth, which was really good. I mean, I remember thinking that it wasn't that good at the time because I wanted to be P1, but um, it was really good for me to come in after everyone. It was the last race of the season. Everyone had a full season under their belt, basically, and I just came in and qualified fourth, so that was really good. Um, and then after that, I uh, I was actually talking to Kyle Kirkwood about um, the following season, and uh, he was like, you got to be with Cape guys. And the Cape guys, you know, especially after having that full season, they are so good at what they do. And they've taught me so much. I'm, I'm really glad that, that I went with Cape and USF 2000. And ultimately, I think everything happens for a reason. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a good, good uh, experience, especially that first race to get the experience of being in a different series there's there's a couple things that are different especially coming from f4 or even karting um there's like a couple things like the start finish line is uh before the last corner and all through my whole life that hadn't been the case and like i ran the checkered and qualifying and got a two position penalty in that first race so like little things like that it was it was kind of sucky at the time but i'm glad that i did that when it didn't matter for the championship you know mm-hmm so you said when you went to Cape Motorsports, they had won, as you mentioned, with Kyle Kirkwood the previous season, um, and you really started off strong. Because this is the last season we're talking about now. As I mentioned, that's the championship running season, um, or championship winning season, I guess I should, I guess I should say. Uh, you won the first four races of the season, St. Pete, uh, the IMS road course, um, and then... You had another win at Road America, another win at Laguna Seca. So that's six wins on the board for that entire season, uh, along with two extra podiums at Portland. Um, were you really expecting to be, I mean, in all honesty, were you expecting to be that competitive out of the gate for your first full-time season in USF 2000, or did that come as a bit of a surprise? Um, I definitely expected to be fighting for the championship. Um, when you're with a team of that caliber, and you have that many resources. I mean, he can pull up, Dominic Cape can pull up data from the last eight champions, and you go to each track, and you have every single resource possible. You expect to be in the championship run for sure. Um, I didn't expect to be, like, the first half of the season, it felt like I was winning every single race. I did not expect that. Um, and, and when it happened, honestly, it was... Um, then it kind of shifted my focus. Then I was actually, <laughs> honestly... After I want to say after Road America, I was like, oh, I might still be able to go after Kyle Kirkwood's uh, win win record, but um, it ended up being a really close season and an extremely tough season in the end. Mm -hmm. And now uh, at the end of this ladder, pretty much right now to where we are currently, uh, which is unfortunately with no racing or no real life racing uh, at the moment, you are in the Indy Pro 2000 Championship with exclusive Autosport. Uh, right now is supposed to be getting the season underway in the middle of June at Road America. Um, is this, I mean, I expect that this is similar to the transition you had between all the other championships where you're uh, just slowly learning and, and taking measures to understand the new car. Um, 
could you explain for people what the differences are actually, including myself, because I'm relatively new to the road to Indy ladder, uh, the differences between that USF 2000 car that you drove last year and the Indy Pro 2000 car? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's actually the same tub. The The actual cockpit that we sit in is exactly the same. Um, the big difference in the suspension, it's the same. The big differences are going to be in aerodynamics and uh, the horsepower, um, as well as the size of the tire. So we have um, quite a bit more downforce. The USF car has, the USF 2000 car only has a single plane front and rear wing, um, as well as uh, it has quite a bit smaller tires than Indy Pro. So we have the two plane rear, rear wing and front wing in Indy Pro. Uh, we have a, a much larger diffuser. I mean, the USF has a very small diffuser. The Indy Pro has a, a huge diffuser. Um, and we have an extra 100 horsepower. Um, it's a four-cylinder, naturally aspirated, two-liter engine. Revs to 9K, has about 275 horsepower. So um, those are the biggest things. And also, I wanted to say um, the biggest, I would say the biggest difference um, coming into this season versus any other season was the funding, um, the opportunity that, road to indy gives with a scholarship to have won that scholarship is um invaluable really i mean and it gives you a lot of confidence as well to have that funding and be able to focus on just racing rather than trying to put together a deal in the past funding has always been so tight so that was that was one thing i wanted to to bring up is so last season i remember meeting i remember seeing you guys in the winter and correct me if i'm wrong but that deal with Cape was not full season at the beginning, right? Well, it was full season. Um, it came together really, really late, though. Um, that was the big thing. Um, I was looking. I did. I was looking at a couple different teams. I was talking with Cape, um, and then ended up being able to put together a deal with Cape. I want to say two weeks before um, the season started, or something like that. It was. It was really late. Um, and I was pretty close to, uh, to be honest at the beginning of the season. So this is, um, a little bit off topic, but, um, that same off season was when I had two different surgeries. Um, so I was in the hospital and I actually missed out on team USA scholarship because of that. Um, but all right, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Your injury, the surgeries. Oh yeah. yeah. So I had, I had the two surgeries. Um, and I was really banking on winning the, um, the Mazda 200 K scholarship. Cause that at the time, I thought that was the only chance that I would be able to race full season. Um, and I ended up not winning that. Unfortunately, uh, my rival last season, Hunter McElroy ended up getting the scholarship. Um, but yeah, at that point it was like, Oh, how am I going to put together something for the next season and ended up getting something together last second. And uh, ended up winning the championship. So now, in hindsight, everything's all good. <laughs> I do notice uh, that we do have a couple people watching live right now, and I just wanted to point out you can ask any questions if you do have any for Braden uh, as we move along, and we'll try to get to them. Um, but the last thing I really wanted to talk about here uh, on this subject is right now, every racer, if they're doing any racing at all, is pretty much on sim racing. Uh, you yourself included. Kyle actually just put out a video, I think, what was it, Tuesday, Kyle? Um, yeah, you driving on a, his sim rig. Um, got another one tomorrow. So. so you're obviously very big into the sim racing thing. You have been for quite a while. Could you just talk about 
how valuable that is a tool for somebody. I mean, put yourself in the position of somebody like me who hasn't been able to do real life racing. Do you think that that's a very valuable tool for learning, not just learning tracks, but also learning the quality of racing and learning uh, how to become a good driver on the track? Absolutely. 100%. 10,000%. That was the biggest thing was uh, I've always been on a sim. And when you don't have millions of dollars to go and spend on a bunch of seat time, it's so useful to be able to be on a simulator all the time. Um, Having the the simulator be close enough to real... Obviously, it's not exactly the same, but close enough to where you go from the sim to real life and it doesn't feel foreign. That's the biggest thing. And I learned a ton through my years of iRacing. I've been on the service since 2011. Um, I was like, t- what, 12 years old? <laughs> so I was I was not good at the time. But uh, I got a lot better and I learned a lot and had a lot of fun. Um, but ultimately, you know, you want to you wanna make it so that it's the least amount of time um, possible so that you accelerate your learning curve as much as possible. Um, and that's the big thing with the simulators is you can you can really do that. Um, if I I will be the first one to tell you if I had never had a simulator and I had went into NDGP and my first F4 race, I would not have gotten second had I never had a simulator. That is uh, 100% a fact. So um, it's been it's been really valuable for me in my career. I'm just going to jump to a quick question before I get back on that topic. Uh, Noah Grimm asked, with Mid-Ohio being your home track, how do you like it, or how much do you like it, I guess, and why? Yeah, Noah's a great guy. He's uh, He actually went to my high school, so that's actually really cool. He follows my racing, and um, he's a great guy. Uh, but to answer his question, um, I struggled at Mid-Ohio last year. I mean, I love the track. I struggled there last year. I'm really hungry to get some results there this year. Um, we struggled as a team last year. I mean, I still was um, the quickest uh, qualifier on my team, but we just struggled. I qualified fourth, ended up with a I'm not the best penalty in my opinion, but a two-position penalty that kind of put me put me back into the, the mid-pack where I got involved in some stuff. But um, Mid-Ohio... To do well there, that would there would be no better feeling. So um, I'm definitely really driven to do well there. Whenever you're there, you feel like you have a lot of eyes on yourself from all the, you know, all my family, friends, fans, everyone that's there that's just following me and watching me. I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform, and I really, I do really, really feel that I'm quite good there. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this year there. We're actually opening up the season, or at least it's planned to open up the season there right now um, with a test. So we'll have a two-day test there in Indy Pro before Road America, if everything stays the same as it is right now. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think Mid-Ohio, it's just really, really cool to have all the support there. And um, I think to win there would be incredible. So probably the best place for me that I think I could win. So I'm going to be really pushing hard there this year. You mentioned Mid-Ohio having a, a huge home crowd. Kyle's always very quick to point that out to me when we, when we get into an argument about racetracks, always telling me how many Ohioans are there rooting on their Ohio boys in the, uh, through the categories. It's just a, it's just a thing. You can't, you can't hey, explain man, listen. it. 
you have to witness it. That's how <laughs> David said the same thing. Like he would, he would, you know, not be as positive about the Minnehaha race. You know, when he covered it without going, and then he went last year, and it's like one of his favorite things. He couldn't stop talking about how cool it was uh, at the end of the weekend. So I mean, it's just a, it's just a thing. You got to go to Mid Ohio IndyCar. It's just a overall. It's just amazing. You can't. It is a core. I mean, it's really hard to pass there. So it makes when people do pass, it's like the most amazing thing. I mean, some yes. of the passes, um, I don't, I, it was Bourdais, right? Bourdais on the outside of, I don't know who it was a couple years ago, but Bourdais into the back straight into turn seven on the outside. That was like one of the best passes I've ever seen. I was like, whew, he was like, had an inch of room to the outside of the track and to the other guy managed to make it work. Oh, great pass. Yeah, that was, that was 2018. That whole race just. I've never seen an IndyCar pull in over under going into the S's like that ever. I I didn't even think that was possible. So it's like <laughs> when it does happen, it's just it's it's a spectacle. It's amazing. It was on willpower, right? I'm gonna look like a terrible Bourdais fan, Bourdais fan if I'm wrong on that, but I I have to watch that race again now. You made me think of it. Now I have to watch yeah, it, so I, we'll I, see. I think it was on willpower. Anyway, uh, just going back to sim racing quickly, we've seen a ton of drivers. Uh, real-life drivers jump into the simulator recently from IndyCar, NASCAR, everybody uh, with, with this whole pandemic going on. And to be honest, you see a lot of them actually struggling. I know the IndyCar race at Michigan, we saw probably half the drivers spinning out trying to go into pit road um, under green. <laughs> As somebody who's been in sim racing forever like you have, do you think that there is a difference that these real life drivers just need to adapt to when they come to sim racing for the first time? Uh, yes. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because, um, obviously these guys are any car drivers. They're great drivers. Um, sim racing is just, it, it is different and you can't ignore that. Um, it's way easier to crash on the sim than it is in real life. <laughs> and, uh, Obviously, you can make the argument that it's way easier because you don't care if you crash because there's no crash damage. But um, because you don't have the actual feeling of what the car is doing, it's just way easier to crash. And um, like a lot of the IndyCar guys are, are having trouble with that. But like uh, making green flag pit stops in those cars are very difficult. Um, I don't know. I think it's just from raw experience and laps that eventually you get good but um i think that's the biggest thing is just you don't have the feeling so it's way easier to crash you are part of the uh that road to indie championship that is being hosted on iRacing right now i've actually seen quite a different uh, quite a few different approaches towards esports racing that different series are trying to do i know nascar is relatively closed off uh, in terms of their actual drivers um, IndyCar has started to do some invitational drivers. We've had Scott McLaughlin doing the entire uh, IndyCar Pro Invitational. We have Kyle Busch this weekend at Motegi. We had Dale Earnhardt Jr. last weekend at Michigan. Uh, and Formula E just announced, I believe it was earlier today, uh, that they are going to be doing some qualifiers for uh, just ordinary people, you or me, uh, to race up against some of their pros and their R-Factor 2 esports thing. Do you think that the Formula E approach is something that other series should look into doing, or do you think that it's better off being strict, strictly racing drivers that are local to that series at the time? Um, 
I mean, to be honest, I want to say that uh, I think we should take a little bit more of the Formula E approach, just because I want to. I want to be in the IndyCar race on uh, iRacing, but um, I don't know. It's. I think. To be honest, the reason why they're doing that is because um, they don't want to make the drivers look bad because a lot of the drivers are very inexperienced in the sim and a lot of people out there would love to go against them and have a ton of experience on a sim. So I, I don't think that necessarily um, we should ha be having anyone in there because if you had, say, say you, Kyle, if you had been told that you would be allowed to race in, I don't know, the IMSA race, I'm sure that you would be practicing nonstop for that, and um, probably to to just to go out and try to put on a performance that everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at that Kyle Cuthbertson guy. So I think um, to some extent, I think they should open it up, but at the same time, um, it would be a bit ridiculous, in my opinion, to just be having anyone out there. So I don't know, but if you can, um, if it's if it's a case like Scott, though, that's always really cool. Like. He wasn't necessarily racing a full season, but he gets to go out and racing against all the IndyCar guys. And um, the same thing with uh, people like Sage. Like Sage, it's a really cool story with him um, being able to get more funding in real life because he's done well in the sim. Like, that's really cool. So hats off to him, and it's uh, cool. Unfortunately, there's been um, some negative sides to uh, the whole sim racing thing, um, some controversy, but that's a whole different topic. So, mm-hmm. Well, I think the 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 most negative thing about this whole sim racing thing is that we're not real racing. <laughs> that is, I think that's the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I mean, it's probably the best alternative we can have for now. But that actually is a great leeway. If we're bringing it back, Kyle, into my my next point. Oh, here. every episode has a leeway. Oh, just we need yeah. to like we gotta call them we out. We need to more, make though. a full name for it. Of course, and come up with a graphic. A leeway? Just, what does that even it's mean? Like a segue. Like oh, a segue. Sort of an leeway, introduction yeah. to the next topic. Chris was, loves them. Chris does it. Non-stop. Oh, they're fantastic. But I was going to bring up, uh, I mean, David Land, who's actually absent from this episode, uh, it's kind of my fault because I just brought it up to him about five minutes before we were start supposed to start recording. Um, anyway, David, if you're listening, we miss you. Hopefully you're back soon. Um, he brought up the, the idea that after all of this goes away, after real racing is back, um, hopefully for the foreseeable future, that esports is going to die out. Um, at least on the scale that it's on right now, do you see any potential for even in like the off season, just a couple of drivers saying, Hey, let's start a championship. It's the off season. Uh, we can get some guys to stream it and let's have some fun in these Indy car races or, or do some NASCAR races. Do you see potential for that? I do. I think, I think 100% there will be, um, like an F like F1 is doing it. IndyCar obviously on iRacing. I think 100% every off season there will be some racing on on iRacing because now every, everyone has a simulator now, so I don't see why they wouldn't do that. But I think um, especially the the added benefit for the sponsors because whenever you're doing something completely different, you're going to get a whole new audience that you wouldn't have had before. So um, I think the added benefit to sponsors with basically no cost to them at all, I think that's um, something that they they can't ignore. So I think it's really cool um, that there is that out there, and I don't I think 100% they'll they'll continue to do it in the off seasons ahead. And then I guess jumping in already to the final section of the episode here, uh, I 
I wanted to ask mainly more than anything, what's your advice to somebody who's still going up through the ranks, to somebody who's in karting or even somebody who's sim racing that wants to make it uh, to the big leagues? What is your word of advice to those people? Um, I guess overall, what you what your best advice for them is? Um, I think the two. Question, but yeah, the two main things though that I think are the keys to success in not just racing but anything. It's uh, self belief. You have to believe in yourself, and you have to be extremely dedicated. If you're extremely dedicated, and you have the self belief, I don't see why anyone can't do anything, but. Um, I think those are the two big things. Um, I know sometimes, you know, every single person can uh, have a lack of either of them at any time, um, even especially last season with me. You know, there was certain times where I was doubting myself, but ultimately you have to bring together all of your self-belief and um, and just uh, do your best. So um, I'm trying to make it like anyone else is. And um, yeah, I think I think definitely those two things are the, the best uh best advice for for racing drivers and then what's your what's your goal for the end of this ladder i'm assuming it's going to be indycar but is there any surprise uh ambitious goal that you're looking at as well well i uh i've been inv uh, involved sorry with meyer shank racing for um a year now and he's been helping me out sponsoring me um through indy pro currently and usf 2000 last year um but Sorry, I just we got a new message, but it distracted me. But um, I would love to do sports cars. Um, that's I first and foremost IndyCar, 100%. But I would love to do some sports car stuff, especially with Meyer Shank. I think that would be really cool. Um, 24 Hours of Daytona, one of the coolest races out there. I love the 24 Hours of Daytona. So if uh, if I could do that, I'll take the chance in a heartbeat. Um, but I'd say mainly, you know, obviously IndyCar and then sports cars on the side. I think my uh, main ambitions. But you actually you actually drove the NSX, right? Yeah, I got a chance actually this past off season to drive the NSX, the Daytona road course. So that was really cool. I was going to say, if you're looking for a nice bullring sports car race to come to, GT, you should make the road trip over to Lime Rock. It's a short race, but it's it's definitely a pretty physical one and a hot yeah. one. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. That's just sort of location it's bias. Kind of, it's a end. it's a random race, but that's that's like the one racetrack near Chris and season. Yeah, Northeast. you know, man, I I said I got to throw in a little bit of location bias. Gotta love the Northeast. Yeah, um, and then you already mentioned that second question from Noah Grimm, and I actually kind of forgot about this, uh, but it's an interesting point that I should bring up nonetheless. Uh, he said, with you putting in some of the fast laps at St. Petersburg before the season wasn't put on pause, do you expect to come out with the si oh? Do you expect to be able to come out when the season starts and do very well? I think so. I mean, there's no, there's nothing has changed from St. Pete to now other than um, we're a bit more rusty, but we're going to have the test in mid-Ohio. Um, honestly, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, I was just thinking about this actually earlier today, but a lot of people in Road to Indy uh, ju have just gotten sims, and they're all going to be putting in a ton of time on sims. And you might think that that can make would make you more fresh but if you don't know how to transition from a sim to real life it can be a burden and it can be you can take a little bit of time to get up to speed 
Um, I've been doing this. I've been doing sim racing forever, so I've gone through this a million times. But a lot of the people that are newer to sim racing, it's going to be interesting to see how, how quickly they can acclimate to a real car again. And the interesting thing is, like he mentioned, you guys actually did end up doing some laps at St. Petersburg. Um, no actual on-track activity for the Indy cars, but some of the Road 2 Indy series actually did get some uh, activity going on there. What was that the overall feeling like as that weekend progressed? Because I know Kyle was there as well, and we talked to him about it in the last episode, uh, both himself and David, uh, just how it felt being there that weekend. But from a driver's perspective... Would you be willing to just give a, a brief overview of how that weekend felt uh, as the days went on? Yeah, it was a it was a very difficult weekend um, emotionally just to go through the oh everything's fine we're all here. I was absolutely stoked to get the season started. Um, I was quickest in testing. Uh, we go there and I was quickest in practice. Um, but that was after you know the whole are we racing or not? We were, the USF 2000 cars were ready to go on track. Race control was silent. Um, nobody knew what was going on. So the race cars sat on the grid for about f three hours before we finally got word. And they were like, Oh, well, we're going to need to, um, basically we're not going to do anything today, but we're going to race no fans, only essential team personnel. We're going to go through the screening process um, if you were on a cruise trip with the last two weeks, then you're not going to be able to come in. Um, family members are not allowed in. Everyone's not allowed in. Um, and that whole day, you know, that whole day where we were supposed to go on track, but we never did, that whole day was just crazy. I remember um, just being in a completely weird state of mind at the time and being like, okay, we're racing. Um, I need to pull myself back into the racing mindset because I was in a, you know, it was a crazy day. I mean, I wasn't around. Well, I was around, but not consciously around when I was two years old for 9-11. But um, and I would never really compare that to that. But it, I feel like when people have described what they felt on the day of 9-11, where they were like, oh, it was a really eerie feeling. Everyone didn't know what to say. Nobody knew how to act. It was kind of that same thing where, um, you know, we've been to the track, up, you know, hundreds of times. And we've never experienced anything like it. And it's just everything gets thrown out of whack and nobody knows what to do, really. But it was uh, it was crazy. It felt like a ghost town there the next day. We all get there and it's just empty everywhere. From a race actually, perspective. Oh, sorry. I was going to say from a race I perspective. I actually forgot that you guys sat on the grid on that Thursday. Because that Thursday, that was the day the mayor was giving his thing. And we had to wait like four hours for it. And I remember yeah. I was just... I was chilling in the media center, and I think your dad texted me. He was just like, "Oh, they held him on the on the grid," and you guys sat there forever. Yeah. And that there was a point in that day where your dad didn't even think he didn't even think he was going to be allowed in. It was just there were so many people that you know it, you spent the whole time just like not knowing who's going to get in, who's not, and then you actually had to go through that screening process on Friday before you practice. What was that like? Yeah, yeah, on Friday or yeah, yeah Friday. So um, that was uh, that was crazy. Um, we all so there was no parking inside because they were worried about people sneaking people in in the trunks. We had to park uh, miles and miles away, like down in downtown St. Petersburg, um, and we all got shuttled over. Um, we had to fill out a form, like a questionnaire. They checked through it, and um, then they we we had to get a wristband. So um, it was. 
weird because it was so early. We and that was the other thing is everyone they were only doing the screening for like I want to say an hour or maybe two hours. So we all had to get there super early because nobody knew like um, if people were going to be getting rejected all the time or we didn't know. Like um, there was uh, a couple people on my team that were um, we weren't sure that they were going to be able to get in. Um, so we were uh, concerned on that behalf. And um, yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean. Um, but you know, once you get in and get the wristband, then you're all good. But, um, the whole process, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. So we were all planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Really. I was going to say from a race perspective, it kind of felt like the, uh, and I wasn't obviously conscious for this, uh, when it actually happened, but the 2001 Firestone Firehawk cart race at Texas, where you have an obvious problem going on, but it kind of feels a bit late in the stage to just cancel the race that's kind of what that weekend felt to me uh, while it was going on yeah i don't i don't know it's it's hard to say um i still to some extent feel like we should have gone on with the weekend just because we were all there we were all together for weeks before that um i don't really think that going through with a race would have added any risk at all um, but ultimately, I don't think it was their decision at all. Um, it was the government's decision, to be honest. Um, the, the, the series really wanted to go down with, and uh, or go through with the race, but um, I think it was some, some higher-up powers that ended up shutting it down, and it was quite unfortunate. Yeah, I think that was the big... I think that's what most people that were there thought. It was like, especially after Thursday, when they made a decision not to cancel, it's like... we. We're all here. We've been here all day together. Uh, all the cars have gone through tech. Everyone's, you know, if someone's going to get it, then it's too late now to just. So, yeah, it was just, it was so weird. It's so weird. But I, the one thing taking away now in hindsight is, you know, once we get back racing and once everything uh, gets going, we're going to look back on that weekend and be like, well, at least we were there for it and weren't just, you know, sitting at home. Because that's going to, that's a story. It's just. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that is a story. That's mm. for sure. Like I said in the last episode, Kyle, that's a story for the grandkids in 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> Just, well, I was your age. <laughs> no, but, um, I mean, I feel like if there's any reason that they ended up postponing that race, well, at least for now we're hearing that it's postponed uh, to the possible IndyCar season finale, um, it's just that you would have had no matter what you say or no matter what you try to enforce, you would have had people trying to watch the on-track activity, whether it's on top of a parking garage or right outside the, the actual course facility. Um, and they just probably didn't want to be liable for it. But I mean, you can go back all day long and just sort of argue about should that have happened? Should it have not happened? It, it was really just a tricky situation for everybody there. Yeah. I think, um, I think ultimately, it was just so fluid at the time and it went from being that first day on Wednesday when I got all my gear checked and everything. Um, I actually was in one of the, uh, there was actually a karting race that was for, uh, you know, a charity and the mayor spoke there. It was like the mayor's charity event or whatever it was called. I forget what it was called at the time, but, um, you know, the mayor spoke, he was like, Oh, well at this point there's, you know, we do not feel that we will have any issue going through a St. Pete. 
um, St. Pete is mostly local people anyways. And um, they said that on the news. And then the next day, everything has changed and every single thing is canceled. The NBA is canceled. All flights to Europe are being um, shut down within, you know, this many days. So ultimately, um, I think at the time, it was just so fluid. And I think they also saw that, you know, if you go one day to the next, going from everything's fine to everything being canceled, you have to assume the same thing is going to happen the next day. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So, Yeah, like when we were at, we were at dinner on that Thursday, or no, that was Wednesday, uh, I don't think all four of us, I don't think any of us had a single thought that the weekend wouldn't go on fine. And then we get back... We get back after, and the, the NBA's canceled, the EU travel ban, everything. And Sebring, uh, it was actually canceled that night. And it's just, man, the, just a few hours, how everything just shifted immediately. It was just, uh, it's still, can't say it enough, it's so odd. Yeah, it was odd and really unfortunate. It was, that was a, that was a tough, I mean, I'm actually glad that I, I drove down because I was doing some testing in Homestead. So I was there for about two two weeks. Um, so I wanted to have my car there. So I just drove down. I don't really mind long distances anyways. Um, but I was pretty glad that I had driven down when I was coming back. Um, I mean, it was a long drive home, don't get me wrong. But I did not want to get on a plane with all those people at that point. <laughs> oh, it was awful. It was awful getting on a plane. It was just <laughs> terrible. And getting on, uh, there were a bunch of cancellations. And it's like every, there was a billion people trying to get home at that very day. It was just insane. Sucks yep. to end the episode on a sad note. Uh, <laughs> but Say something I guess, nice. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, well, that's what I was going to try to do because you, you can't end the episode on a sad note. Um, but hopefully the season gets underway as it's scheduled right now at Road America. Um, and I hopefully I'll end up seeing you, Braden, on track in August. Uh, at Indy for the what is it still called the Carb Night Classic despite it's on Saturday now isn't it Uh I don't even know I think it is on Saturday night <laughs> Yeah it is Saturday it's night It's night before the 500 Yeah now. But I think it's still being called the is Carb it? Night Classic Yeah night before the 500 Oh that's kind of cool yeah. I'm so glad that we're the one that broke that news to you uh, um, <laughs> But anyway uh that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this episode uh as I said at the beginning of the last episode, stay safe, follow the recommendations sent out by the CDC or your local health organizations. Uh, we're all trying to get through this thing together, uh, and that's a continued battle that we're still in right now. Uh, if you're new to the channel and this is your first time watching, uh, you can subscribe. We're going to be doing some more podcasts in the future. Hopefully, my goal is to try to get two a month out now. Uh, I know it's been exactly a month to the day since we've gotten our last one out, uh, but I'm going to try to get a little bit better at that. Um, and if there are any guests that you would like to see, send us a message on our Twitter. It's at Rain Race Podcast. Uh, also, go check out these guys. Uh, I'll have their stuff. I'll have Kyle's YouTube channel linked in a card at the top right. I'll have Braden's social media in the description. Uh, so go check them out as well. Uh, they deserve this support and love for being kind enough to join on this episode. Uh, any last remarks, guys? Oh, I mean, thanks everyone who's watching. Um, thanks everyone who's gonna watch it after it's posted um thanks everyone for tuning in and thanks for having me and you can listen to us just outside of youtube you can listen to us on spotify apple podcasts 
Google Play, all that good stuff. Uh, it's also in the link on our Twitter. Once again, it's at Rain Race Podcast. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Hope you all enjoyed. Uh, stay safe, and we hope to see you in the next one.